Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. There seems to be a chronic lack of optimism in our world these days. Sure, every evening on the news, they try to give that little cutesy story at the end as if that could undo and erase all we've heard for the last 28 minutes of what they ironically are calling news. Uh, we get little, little cheerful or funny or encouraging memes uh, come to us, but they can't counter our reality. As, as weird as it may seem, we had sort of gotten used to hearing reports of terrorist activity around the world. Uh, our shells had hardened to uh, things happening, uh, like bad things happening somewhere else, or, or even actually at a nightclub in Orlando or at an elementary school like Sandy Hook. Hate crimes perpetrated by groups against other groups that weren't part of our group we push to the different corners of our minds. Abused children, uh, slave-like conditions for migrant workers, the opioid crisis and the addictions and uh, meth labs and uh, crack and just on and on. Uh, And then in the midst of all that, we began to wonder, and we still are wondering, if either side of the aisle in our government has any altruistic concern for we, the people. I could go on and on, but then came the pandemic, the global pandemic. And, and on the foundation of a divided world, this invisible enemy brings more inescapable disequilibrium. And, and we fear, I think it's natural, we fear the unknown and the invisible. And it just might be that we might be coming to the place in our minds right now this week where we fear that our world is broken beyond the ability to be fixed, beyond repair. It was G.K. Chesterton who said that the remark that nursery rhymes, while they were not written from a, a Christian worldview, might best be interpreted sometimes from the Christian perspective. And right now, we may feel like Humpty Dumpty is both our own personal story and the story of our world. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. In our God-abandoning moments, we may have adopted this fatalistic view of things that it's just beyond repair, that sin has deemed our world so damaged that it it is ultimately fatal and that there is no hope. But that is not true. Uh, That's not so. Our our God, the God of love and justice and mercy, wants to reverse our Humpty Dumpty story. And and that idea of reversing the Humpty Dumpty story is the theme of what God is trying to communicate with us through Paul's letter to the Colossians, Uh, Paul's letter to the Orlandonians as well. It's what God is trying to tell us. Paul opened the letter reminding us that we've heard some good news. We call it the gospel, and it's really just the truth about God's amazing kindness towards sinners. And and so if in a Humpty Dumpty slump, the first words of hope 
about remembering God's great kindness towards sinners. This great kindness has purchased us a reserved seat in God's kingdom. And while we live in this unusual in-between times, the, the reality of God's kingdom having come into our lives, and yet the not-yet time of all the full actualities, we live in that middle time, and, and yet this fragmented Humpty Dumpty, we have hope, we have hope of what will be. Right now, listen, God will strengthen you, Colossians says, will strengthen you with all power so that even in this time, you will have all endurance and all patience you need, and God will allow room for you to also be filled with joy. In the very first week of, in Colossians, we discovered God's promise to put our Humpty Dumpty world uh, back together again. While we have seen some messes in our, on our hands, uh, the world is a definitely a, a mess right now. And at every stage of history, if we look back and study history, it's been messes all along and, and will be all throughout the history, all the way to the second coming and the end of sin. Jesus, though, has reconciled, brought into oneness, settled, uh, un, uh, united everything in heaven and on earth by his blood on the cross. Maybe it's true that all the king's horses and all the king's men, all of the world leaders and all of humanity combined can't put Humpty together again, but God can. This may be extra challenging at times, but there is nothing that you or I can face that is outside of the everything that Jesus has reconciled to God. Our Humpty Dumpty world is, um, is an impossibility, a hopeless mess. If it is dependent on me and my, my performance and my ability to fix, I love to fix things, but if it's relied on me, it's, it's hopeless. But it is hopeful if we maintain the connection with the reality that in Christ, Christ in me is our true hope of glory. We've learned in this letter to the Colossians uh, that we can put together the best Humpty Dumpty reassembly rules book. And we can follow every one of those rules to the very letter of the law. And it still won't put Humpty together again. Instead, it calls us to trust Jesus and he will make all things new. We can trust God even in the tragic moment of Humpty Dumpty's great fall. He, he specializes in things that are thought impossible. Who, he who can speak stars into being can put together, all together again, reassemble the pieces of our fragmented world. Now, I've told you all this, sort of a review of, of where we've been through Colossians a little bit, of our journey, for preparing you for what comes now. The words that Paul writes are here are rarely considered in this kind of a context. Oftentimes, they're just read by themselves and very, very misunderstood. In the context of God's journey to put Humpty together again, that God is making all things new, this is what Paul is writing about here in Colossians. Other places, he's written very clearly and concisely and with absolute clarity that in Christ there is no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, no male nor female. 
he, he told the Philippians that they're not to look after their own interests only, but the interest of others as well, and even consider others better than yourself. Paul writes in harmony with the teachings of Jesus that did more to flatten some, did more than flatten some curve. Jesus took a vertical axis of relationships above and below, over and under, and he turned it on its side so that it was a, a horizontal axis of relationship where each, is, each are brothers and sisters to the other. This teaching of Jesus is so significant, we find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then we see Jesus model it and actually uh, portray it in, in action in the Gospel of John. Here it is, as Matthew remembers it, of chapter 20, verse 25 to 28 of his book. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lord it over those beneath them. But among you it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. These words of Jesus are radical in our fallen world. They were astoundingly radical in the culture to which he spoke them, and a couple of millenniums later, they remain just as radical. But it was a shift that Jesus also modeled. On the night before his betrayal, in the upper room, his very closest followers, those he's poured his life into and he thinks are most with him, are arguing about who's going to get the best seat, who gets the first place. And while that argument is going on, Jesus goes and he takes a basin and a towel and a pitcher of water, and he begins to make his way around the table, washing 24 feet. The work of a servant. I can hear Jesus. I hope you can hear Jesus sort of hollering into our broken Humpty Dumpty culture. There is no longer us and them above and below. There's just we. There's just we. This is who we are. We want what is good for us, the collective we. The, Christ, the circle of the kingdom must be enlarged. We draw that circle larger and larger to take all in and shut none out. We are one human family. One of the amazing things from this pandemic that I have never seen anything to illustrate it better in my lifetime is that it has shown us that on this whole globe, there may be great differences in ethnicities and cultures and language and all kinds of socioeconomic levels, but it's clear we are one human family. This is the context. This is the context from which Paul writes, but just like Jesus, the the night before the crucifixion washed 12 men's feet, 12 men's feet, Paul has recognition that in his culture, while his letter is to all the saints in Colossae, it will be overly hoarded by the socially powerful who are the free men. In, In that culture, there were there were four people groups, four people groups, and Paul will speak to each of the four in this letter. But in that culture, in reality, there was one people group and then three subservient people groups. There were the free males, the free males. They had all the power, period. This is why the disciples were bickering in the upper room about who would have better seats, because they already were powerful just by their gender in that culture. 
and they wanted more power, and so they wanted the better seat for themselves. The free males could command, demand, rule, and, and exploit the other three powerless people groups. In that culture, a woman was the property of her father until he bartered her to her husband, and then she became her husband's property. Uh, she was a second-class citizen with two main, two main duties, have babies, take care of the home. She had no autonomy whatsoever. Children, children in that culture were considered an inconvenience at worst and at best a future asset that might help the family in some way. The father, the free male, had all the say. They called all the shots. They, just, they determined careers and plans and everything for the children, not for the children's lifetime, but for the father's lifetime. As long as he was alive, he had absolute control, even up to the point of life and death. The last people group were slaves, who were considered to be living tools, living tools, and could be well-treated or abused. The master could make life good or miserable. As the free male, he had all the cards in his hand to the point of life and death for the slave as well. Thank God, our world is better. It's not perfect by any means, but it is better. It's been a journey of 2,000 years, 2,000 years for the teachings of Jesus to progress and be understood to alter alter uh, the centuries of realities. So when we read the words of Paul, we need to clean out our 21st century understanding ears and discover how it is it's been a progressive, a progressive step, part of the from Jesus to today journey. Teachings that have created a world that effectively condemns slavery come from Jesus, that they effectively in our world today, we condemn slavery, although slavery still exists in too many places. Uh, supports the rights of children now around the world, and yet still too many children are exploited. And by and large, supports the rights of women while in actual practice, equality is still not fully arrived. One story, one more story before we look at our verses. In 1710, just 35 years uh, earlier, nine years after the Great London Fire, Sir Christopher Wren began his most ambitious architectural project ever, the restoration of St. Paul's Cathedral. A magnificent building upon which uh, we've copied it for our our capital in Washington, D.C. It took Wren 35 years, 35 years to finish his project, and by then he was an old man. He was very pleased to be able to take Her Majesty Queen Anne on a three-hour detailed tour of the restored cathedral. After uh, showing the tour of his, the, Her Majesty of his work of 35 years of genius work, he waited for the reaction of the queen. In current British form, she responded to his work in three short sentences. She said, it is awful, it is artificial, it is amusing. Now now imagine, 35 years of life poured into this project and you get this response. I mean, the the one person's opinion that matters more to you than any other person's opinion in the whole world was summed up in these three adjectives. Sir Christopher Wren's biographer writes that when he heard 
Her Majesty say these three short sentences, he fell to his knees, sighed a great sigh of relief, and then began to to thank Her Majesty for her graciousness. How on earth was that possible? How on earth was that possible? The reason is, is that in 1710, the word awful meant awe-inspiring. The word artificial meant artistic. And the word amusing meant amazing. So, so what sounds so negative to our 21st century ear must mean something different in a different time. With this background, we now turn to our text, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 18 and following. But most of this background was for us to try to hear this with first century ears. You wives must submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. This section is called in many translations in the Bible a heading, uh, Instructions for Christian Households. Paul begins with wives because while his primary message may have been directed at the free males, if he starts there, they won't hear what he has to say. So before we see what he says directly to the free males, let's, let's finish these three subservient groups. Wives must submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. As a little girl, as a young lady, she belonged to her dad. And then through the dowry and the bartering, she now belonged to her husband. We hear Paul say something very different here. As fitting for one who belongs not to her husband, but who belongs to the Lord. You children must obey your parents, for this is what pleases not your father, not your mother even, what pleases the Lord. There's a different accountability here. And you slaves must obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Working for them as if you were working for the Lord, it says in the text. We hear these instructions to these three repressed groups and our 21st century American souls, uh, our ears, we recoil, we are repulsed. This was the reality, though, of the culture of that day. Whatever we may think of these words, we must remember that this is the same Paul who unequivocally is clear in Christ there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. The same Paul that insists that we be humble and think of others better than ourselves, and those others would include wife and children and slave. It is proper understanding of Paul that unites with Jesus' change of axis of relationship from above and below to this horizontal picture, eventually change that, and and our faith to that new model will continue to bring caring and serving of one another more and more into our reality. We hear the future, we hear the future in Paul's orders uh, to the free males. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now we know what Paul means when he uses the word love. There's a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, husbands love, be patient and kind, not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Don't demand your own way. Don't be irritable. Keep no record of being wronged by your wife. Never give up. Never lose faith in her. Always be hopeful and endure through every circumstance that arises with your wife. Wow. Paul sets a high standard for the free males with their wives. Regarding children, fathers, don't aggravate your children. Uh, 
that's the prohibition. Don't do that. But if you think about it, having a prescription, it would be the opposite. It would be the antonym of the word aggravate. Fathers, aid, help, please, calm, make happy, soothe, and gladden, improve, relieve, soften, appease your children. After wives and children, there is in chapter 4, verse 1, the word to the free male regarding the slave. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. I hear echoes of Paul's letter to Philemon, but we'll, we'll stay with this today. Our, our ears hear, and we 21st century people cringe when the first century ears heard it, they cringed too. If they, if they got the implication, if they heard the implication in what Paul is saying to the free male about the slaves, if they heard justice and fairness, not as better treatment of slaves, but instead heard the clear call to brotherhood and on the axis of horizontal relationships, not of just and fair relationships being that way, called to serve their slaves in Christ. Our ears hear wives submitting, children obeying, and slaves obeying, and we may fail to see Paul correctly advancing, advancing the ball down the field as part of the journey from then to now and for us to carry on. What's the message here for us today in 21st century Orlando? I believe it is the message to those people in Colossae. Same message. First, Paul saying, work within the cultural framework that is yours to make it better. We have to work in the culture in which we are. But there, and there are so many opportunities right now in our culture where there are people that are, are suffer oppression or get injustice. And we have the opportunity. We can come alongside them and work in that culture to make it a more just and, and safe society. Second, there is hope. God will put Humpty together again, but better and truer and more right. And then at the second coming, eventually flawless. He'll put it back together the way it should be. And we can have that assurance as we, as we work within the cultural framework to try to make a better, a better place. Third, recognize that anywhere there is oppression, anywhere there is domination, anywhere where, where one person or group of people are using their power to hold somebody down and exploit them, that we, that's a call to us, we are called to work for that to be no more. We, we are called to, to be people who live the way Jesus chose to relate. Listen, our world is Humpty Dumpty story, but we know it can change. It can be put back together again. We know this because our stories Our individual stories are Humpty Dumpty stories as well. And God, we have understood, has reconciled all things to himself. He's begun to put us back together. We are perfect in Christ. Now to each other, (laughs) to each other we don't look so perfect. We're pretty messed up. Uh, There's a lot of glue sticking our pieces back together. And and we got a piece missing here and there. Uh, But in the eyes of God, our creator and redeemer, we are perfect in Christ. And we have hope for the day where our God will wipe out all levels of distinction, 
recreate a perfect Humpty Dumpty world. And until then, we'll keep trying. We'll keep trying to make this world a better place for all. Ben Zander, eventually he was the Philharmonic director for Boston, uh, set up a program that allowed him to take a group of high school students from America to England for a year. And uh, they got their schools to agree that this time in England would be given, they'd be given credit for a whole school year. He set up a, a curriculum of music and art and philosophy and English. They rented a home there in London. And, and every week he would have someone come, an expert in some field, and have dinner with the students and talk about their particular area of field. The students would, would prepare the meal. On one occasion, he invited his father, uh, Walter Zander, who had spent his entire lifetime basically devoted to thinking and writing about conflict, especially the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs. By candlelight over dinner, into which the students had put a lot of extra care because it was his dad coming, he began, his dad began by describing the whole sweep of Jewish history, reaching back and beginning with Abraham. He poured his passion into the tale, the great biblical stories, the medieval, medieval ages, the accomplishments of, and the arts and the sciences, the story of the diaspora, diaspora and the tragedy of the Holocaust. He, he brought the whole saga of all of Jewish history down to this tiny sliver of land called Palestine in 1947. The year the land was petitioned between the Arabs and Jews so the Jews could have a homeland. He paused for a moment and then he began, went back and narrated the whole sweep of history of the Arab people. Again, he started with Abraham, the acknowledged ancestor of the Arabs as well as the Jews. He spoke of the Arabic sciences and learning, the magnificent library at Alexandria, the great artistic achievements, the tapestries and the architecture, the music and the literature, the folkloric tales of the, of the Arabian Nights. And above all, he spoke of the legendary courtesy of the Arab people. What was most striking was that he, was, he seemed to speak with equal enthusiasm whether he was talking about the Jewish history, his own, or that of the Arabs. When he brought the great 4,000-year saga of the Arab people down to the same little sliver of land called Palestine in the year 1947, one of the students couldn't hold back no longer, and they ex- he exclaimed, What a wonderful opportunity! What a privilege for both of those peoples who share land and history. Imagine if this had been the sentiment that had been the guiding principle for Arab and Jewish relations in the Middle East from 1947 until today. You see, there are so many fragmented pieces of poor Humpty Dumpty. And tragically, we, we oftentimes grab a piece and hold on to the piece as that being us, and then we, we have alienated ourselves from all the other pieces as being them. More often than not, history is a record of conflict between us and them. Us and them nationally, us and them ethnically, us and them by skin color, by money, by education, by age, by gender, by husband and wife, by parent and child, by slave and free or or power and powerless or employers and employees. And God calls us. God calls us to draw a bigger circle, a circle that takes in all and discover this giant we, 
this giant we, not yet perfect, but together we can work to make the world, our world, a better place for all. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.